what if I could tell you that you're never going to bonk? Because in real time, I could tell you exactly what to eat to get to the finish line the fastest. Like, that would be pretty cool. (laughs) Um, So that's part of my job is I take the science and I break it down for the athletes and kind of help people understand what the glucose levels mean and what you need to eat for performance and recovery and health and trying to just break down the science into manageable little articles um, to help people really understand what it's about and how to use the tool properly. DN Plus One, global yet very local cycling podcast brought to you by Lowland Cycling. So, uh, hi, Colleen. Welcome to the to the podcast. It's great to have you on. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Thanks. Excellent, uh, Jeff. Good evening. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Jerry? I'm I'm doing doing well. I can't I can't complain. So, uh, yeah. Jeff, do you want to kick it off with the with the first question? Sure, Colleen. Thanks for joining us. Um, so, can you just give the listeners a uh, background of how you got started with cycling? Sure. Um, Yes, I grew up about an hour south of T-Town, and my father was a cyclist. And so that kind of inherently got me into it and and just trying it out. Um, And I went through the Air Products program, which is a really good developmental program at the Valley Preferred Cycling Center. That kind of brought me up through the the training wheel years and, you know, (laughs) into racing. That's and at, at, at what age did you, did you start? Uh, I think I started Pee Wee Peddlers, maybe around six. Oh, wow. About that okay. age. But I didn't start. I did my first nationals at 11. And I okay. had no idea what I was doing, but <laughs> <laughs> gave it a shot. <laughs> yeah. So did you know that you wanted to go into cycling, like that was your path? Or did you have any deviations along the way? There were a lot of deviations. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, my first sport was ice hockey, and that was completely out of the blue. My parents had no experience. I had no introduction, and I wanted to do it only because I loved the Mighty Ducks movie as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and I kept pestering my parents about doing it, and finally they let me try thinking it would be a phase, and I was hooked. Yeah. Um, and then my mother actually played field hockey in college and on the national team. And so that kind of came next um, and wound up loving that. And I kind of had field hockey, ice hockey and cycling all going on at the same time growing up. Um, yeah. And then you have like, gosh, I tried lacrosse and track and they, they were not for me. But <laughs> I kept three of them going up until high school, and then I dropped ice hockey. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Was there yeah. a point when you thought, like, okay, I'm, this is when I'm going to focus on just cycling from this point on? It's interesting that um, I always thought that field hockey would be my path because it came very easily to me. And it was something that I could do without, without having to put a whole lot of practice into it. And cycling was the complete opposite. It was yeah. always a struggle. I have so little actual talent for cycling. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I took field hockey pretty much as far as it could go and went through college and D1. 
And at the end, you're kind of left with national team or nothing. Hmm. And I got invited to try out for the national team. And I just, it wasn't for me. I, I needed a break. Um, and so I said, I'm going to switch gears for a little bit and hopped more into cycling. And it just kind of took off. There's something about that. I think that's why all cyclists are a little crazy because there's a big suffer fest element involved. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but I actually really like that part of it. Yeah. Right. And so you played field hockey at uh, the University of Maryland. Um, did you also race collegiate at, at Maryland in combination um, with field hockey? I did. Or? I, did. I still trained mm -hmm. um, for cycling, but I only actually did two collegiate cycling races and they were right next door uh, because I would have practices all year round for field hockey. Right. And so I never had a full 24 hours where I could get off campus to go travel anywhere. Um, but I did during the summer, I still did the USA crit series. Um, and I was still very active in the crit scene when I wasn't in season. Then you, then you, um, completed your study at, at Maryland. And what, what was the, 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 the study that you did uh, there, if I may ask? I did bioengineering, um, and mechanical engineering at Maryland. Okay. And are you still currently studying or? I'm almost done. Okay. I have 15 <laughs> days until I'm done my PhD. Oh, nice. So, <laughs> wow. While I am, really, congrats. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I did. So I went from Maryland um, and then I moved to California and I did two years of grad school at Cal State Fullerton um, in exercise physiology, kind of took a detour. Um, and then I went down to New Zealand for my PhD. So did it's a three-year program down there. So um, I came back. They actually afforded me a great opportunity where I was studying year-round, but every summer I could come back here to race as long as I checked in every week and did all my work. And then I would go down there for the winter and come back. So it was very fortunate the way it worked out, but I'll be done uh, as of August 21st. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's... That's, that's, that's great. And did you, did you race both in, uh, so you raced during the summer when you came back, but did you race in California and did you also try to race or raced in, in, in New Zealand? Yeah, I raced in California a ton and it's yeah. great that their seasons are flip-flop so they mm. can do crit racing through the winter since their weather is great, um, in California. And then in New Zealand, You know, they have so many really good cyclists that come out of there. You would think there's a ton of racing. There's not. Okay. <laughs> there's very little. I think I tried. I was so, like, eager to race that I did a 70-mile road race there, which is very much out of my comfort zone. And it was handicapped, uh, which I'd never done before. So they started me 38 minutes down from the leader. And it was a super hilly course, and they way overestimated my abilities. That was a miserable experience. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but okay. that was my uh, only, actually, that's not true. That was my only New Zealand road race. They have one track carnival a year, which I did go to. Okay. Every year. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, um, the, the, the cycling disciplines that you do is road race and, and, and track basically, or do you also do cyclocross and or mountain bike, or is it just focused on the former two? 
No, just just actually even very little road races this year, more just crits. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, crits and track. I tried one cycle cross race at the end of last year because it was just in our backyard, but I had no idea what I was doing, and I did it on a road bike, and it was just bad, a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I just stick to those two. They're enough for me. <laughs> yeah. Was that the uh, Sly Fox race? It was the, oh gosh, where was it? No, I, it wasn't Sly Fox, but it okay. was on, oh, I don't know, it was on the side of the mountain and there was all these switchbacks going up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My road bike had so much toe overlap that I could oh. never make the turn. So I just got off at the bottom and ran the whole thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah, what the race it could be. Yeah. Of it now, but, uh, yeah, I know exactly which one you're talking about. It was really hot this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the track, which uh, which which disciplines is it? Uh, sprint, or do you do uh, any other? Uh, what what do you like to do? And... Um, my favorite is the Madison, mm-hmm. and second to that is the Omnium. Okay. Um, I actually I really love doing Kieran's, but there's just not that many opportunities to race, and you really have to kind of swing to the full fledged sprinter side of things in order to be super competitive and good in that environment. But I still like racing them. Um, but now Madison is where I had my Pan Am championship medal was in that. And then I went to world cup for some Omnium stuff. So that's more my style, more of a sprinter and an endurance. Were you able to race internationally on the track then too? Yeah, I think I've raced. Oh God. I tallied it up the other day. Something like seven countries, seven or eight countries. I did my first one, I think was I did the Tasmanian Christmas carnivals. That was my first one when I was 16. I flew down there for a month and um, did all those circuits. They were UCI back then. And I did the Rotterdam six day. Um, I've done Pan Am track championships. Uh, I did a world cup in Chile. Um, I did, I did the Tasmanian carnivals again this past year and um, just a couple other things here and there. Oh, the Manchester Revolution races um, in Manchester and London. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, the, the the six days and the, the other events that you just mentioned. It's uh, it's a shame that you really don't have anything like that in the, in the U.S. Uh, where you have multiple day events and the... The, the the velodrome is 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 packed full of people and there's so much going on and it's it's uh, such a uh, friendly viewer friendly event uh, because mm-hmm. it's uh, you're literally on top of the racers and it's uh, there's a lot of speed and uh, how how was that so so if you uh, for example the the, the Rotterdam um, uh, uh, six day event how was that um, can you tell us a little I bit about that it. oh yeah. my gosh it's the most exciting venue you will ever be at in your life um and it's just the whole thing's a party i mean it's it's hard not to have fun even if you don't win you're gonna have fun there yeah um but at the time i was oh goodness i was 19 when i went i was the youngest one by far for the women's field and i remember lining up against vera and kirsten wild for a madison team and it's like oh my gosh they must have been two feet taller than me and they're already world champs and, you know, the whole, the whole bit. So that was an experience just to be able to race with them and learn from them. I mean, you have no idea the, the different level that you could be the best here, 
and then you go over to Holland and you are by far the worst. You're getting like 30 laps down. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it was a, a shock, but at the same time, if you're going to get shocked, that's the best way you could possibly do it. <laughs> yeah. how, how is that when you just to, to kind of dig in a little bit deeper on, on the six days, how, how is that from a, um, do you, do you speak with, uh, it, it also has to be part of your personality, but, but do you, do you talk with the other racers because you're, you're around deep, depending on how many types of races you do, but do you, do you, yeah, do you meet the, the people and do you, do you chat and with do you do the warm up and all that stuff? How, how does that go? Uh, yeah, it really depends on the different environment and the different people that you're racing yeah. against. I think um, for the Rotterdam one, I wound up talking to a lot of the other riders, at least the ones that spoke English with me, mm-hmm. um, just because I, was, I wasn't I was a threat to any of them oh, okay. <laughs> competitively. And so I, if I approach them just from the aspect of, look, I want to learn. I'm coming from a background where I'm, I'm good where I'm at, but I'm nowhere near as good as you. Um, what do I need to do to get to your level? And just being very respectful and just kind of picking their brain a little bit. And they were wonderful. They were all lovely women um, and really good role models. And then you go to like some of the other environments where it's kind of every man for themselves. (laughs) You know, you are secluded. You go exactly where you need to go. And I feel like the the bigger the prize money and the more Mm. that's at stake, the more separate it gets. Right. Um, But it's more, I mean... Everybody knew who was going to win that Rotterdam six. Like <laughs> these guys had it had it down pat. Um, so it's a little bit different. And even like the the Manchester Revolution races and things like that. That was more of a collegial atmosphere, mm-hmm. just because yeah, there was prize money, but there really wasn't that much of a difference between first and fifth and things like that. So it's it was more of a just a really good training efforts and getting out there and trying to see what you can do with the best girls. Yeah. So, so you do some coaching as well. Is that right? I do. Um, I've stepped back a little bit during my PhD just because I wasn't here. And I think it's, it's hard to coach when you can't see them all the time and kind of pick things apart and, and help with the little things. Uh, but I am actually, I was just talking about that today is I'm thinking now I'll have some more time after this month and, maybe pick that back up again and, and go in that environment. So it's through uh, Podium Sports is the company that I own that I do the coaching through. Okay. Is cool. that mostly coaching track riders? Um, no, actually, there's been a pretty good variety. There's been track road. Um, I do field hockey as well, but that's a totally separate thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, it's kind of spanned the gamut. I think uh, – we had some some kids in at the beginning and a bunch of masters riders and then it kind of filters into the middle a little bit more <laughs> yeah yeah right yeah it's been interesting to see under covid um jerry's come to a, a mountain bike race with with us and um he's seen how dynamic the races have become and you're not um, you're not seeing the same people win. Uh, you used to show up to the line and you'd be like, oh, okay, you know, Bobby Lee is here. He's going to win, right? But he showed up to the first race and got third. And it was like, wow, okay, like things are changing. And you can tell people are doing their homework. And then some people are like, well, I don't know when my race is going to be. So I'm going to sit on the sidelines a little bit. So I think people are leveling up and they're getting the coaches and they're putting in the work and you're seeing the results. And it's 
been pretty interesting 2020 so far. Um, are you kind of seeing the same thing from your end? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's yeah. a there's a big split where you have the people who have been training all winter and they were, you know, ready for this hard season that was going to go really, really well. And then COVID happened and they said, well, you know what? I'm fit right now. So I'm just going to keep forging forward. And yeah. if anything happens, I'm ready to go. And then the other people who kind of like took a little slower to get moving and then COVID hit and they're like, nah, we're just going to wait it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got the people who waited it out and then got really bored in quarantine. So they started to train. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's really mixed things up a lot. And I'm curious to see how that affects next year. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think the, uh, um, so, so you organized the, the pickle juice, uh, the crit series, um, and, uh, the feedback that I got from, from the, from, from my team and I, 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 I watched race three is that there was a big difference. So they raised the cat, uh, three, four, and with, with a couple of laps, the, the, the field was completely spread out. Um, so also within the field was just a, a a big split between the guys that were in top shape <laughs> and mm -hmm. others a little less. Um, and that was very apparent uh, during those, those races. Was that the same for, for the other categories also? Um, because I only saw the, the, the three fours. Was that, was that the same? Um, it was the pattern kind of held, but mm -hmm. that three, four race was brutal. Yeah. They went from the gun and they just drilled it the whole time. So that lead group in that race did a, phenomenal job yeah. um but that was the, the same theme was consistent with the other races just maybe not to that high of an extent okay <laughs> yeah i think a lot of people are used to taking the tests before the final exam so you can <laughs> kind of like figure out what questions are going to be on the final yeah. and some people show up to the final and get 100 <laughs> it's yeah. like oh wow exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's definitely been interesting even in the pro levels you know we're seeing some of these races just you know, in the world tour and like, it's like, wow, you see the, it seems like there's vast differences between people's fitnesses now, you know? Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right. And especially depending on what they had access to during mm -hmm. this quarantine time. I mean, I saw photos of these, uh, the Dutch sprinters, they all had gyms delivered to their house. Yeah. Like wow. way to go, man. Good for them. <laughs> their, their national team is doing something right. Cause they could do everything all within their own little backyard. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. we're just, you know, hiding out in our own little apartments, hoping for the best. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was, that, that was absolutely strange because, um, in, in the Netherlands and in Belgium, for the longest time they had some freedom to ride by themselves or locally but um, many pro riders they live in france southern france or or spain and they were literally locked down to their apartment <laughs> so they were sitting on swift <laughs> on their <laughs> small balcony um, uh, and 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 trying to do some training and maybe even some some racing um, and and some just took the gamble and said, okay, this, that's, that's not going to happen. And they drove back to, to the Netherlands or Belgium to be able to ride outside because they couldn't in Spain or France, but yeah. So that's a very interesting period. Fer fingers crossed that <laughs> we can kind of keep on racing, but it's, uh, um, it's starting to flare up also in, uh, in, in Europe, uh, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. 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 I think we're fortunate that we have so many, 
tools like Zwift and Trainer Road and, you know, these smart trainers and things. I mean, even power meters, right? People are used to just having power meters on their bike all the time. So you you know where your level is. Um, do you feel like when you started racing to where we are now, have you seen like a huge progression in how people train and uh, what they're able to achieve? Absolutely. And I think that there's uh, a big shift towards, we have, we have net data that we've never had before in the mm-hmm. recent years. So that obviously is a, a nice luxury and a benchmark to um, stack yourself up against and not only you, but other people. And so it's something that I still tend towards the old school ways myself because I know what it feels like. So you can just kind of gauge it by effort, but the past couple of years I've been getting more and more into a power meter and it's just kind of that little game that you play with yourself (laughs) to figure out how you can take those little inches forward. Um, But I think it's a, it's some great tools that you have, especially for somebody who's just coming into the game now that they can learn like, okay, well I'm at, you know, such and such a Watts or such and such a, a speed now. And, this is what I need to get to. So you can set some realistic benchmarks um, and progress your way through. And it really helps to identify weaknesses without having to actually see somebody do every step of the program. Right. Right. And is that yeah, it's are those, yeah, tools that you use during your, let's say, coaching and coaching of uh, uh, your clients, uh, basically, or your athletes, um, power meters, uh, the smart trainers? Is that an active tool for you? Mm-hmm, it is. And, you know, whatever riders have, we can certainly use. Let's get, my, if you've got the tools, why not use them? Exactly, yeah. So we'll work in every bit and give you every possible advantage you possibly can. But if you don't have it, there's no nothing to say you still can't be effective and have a good training program. It's just going to be a little different. Yeah. Um, And with the whole Zwift thing now, that throws a whole other curveball in it. And that's certainly an interesting thing. I think it's a cool concept um, for as a writer myself. Oh, I, I hate it. <laughs> it's, for, it's a time trialist game. Yeah. You're just in there and you are hammering 24 seven. My bread and butter is just to sit in the draft and then go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it totally takes me out of competition, but it is, it's perfect way to, you know, break up the monotony and, be able to kind of gauge yourself at least a little bit and have some fun against some other people. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I remember back in the nineties, you know, and it was December, everyone hung up their road bike, grabbed the fixed gear. Yeah. Right? Now you're going <laughs> to ride your fixed gear to smooth out your pedaling. Uh, I know you're a fixie, right? Rider, racer. Absolutely. Um, do you think there's still room in people's um, garage to have a fixed gear for specific winter riding? Absolutely. I still have one. Um, yeah. I think it's great. And I think it's, it's something different. I think that I'm, I'm a wimp when it comes to weather though. So I will say if it is snowing, count me out, I'm inside. <laughs> um, but I do think that, I mean, you look back and people call it old school or whatever, but they were still fast. There's still merit to their training methods. They still knew what they were doing. They might not have had the scientific word to explain mm-hmm. how it all worked yet, but they knew it worked. Yeah. So there's no reason to completely throw that out of the water and then reinvent the wheel to try and get a new training program. Maybe you yeah. tweak it a little bit, but it definitely still worked. There were fast guys 
throughout history for decades back. <laughs> yeah. But I, I like it. I think the, the off-season fixed gear is it's something that has kind of gotten um, put on the back burner, I think, with a lot of people lately because mm-hmm. you can do the Zwift and the more indoor riding. Um, but why not mix it up in a different way? Get outside. Right. For Red Hook yeah. people, you better be getting out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and then yeah. uh, I believe you you won Red Hook once or twice. Yeah, I got I won the um, Brooklyn number ten. Okay, number ten, and I got fourth in London, so I won right after that. Oh, cool! But yeah, yeah so, I love uh, it. How, how 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 was that? I only know it from YouTube, <laughs> but it it, um, it looks amazing. It was <laughs> unexpected. I had no idea, you know what to really think of the day everybody said that you know it's a party atmosphere and that it's really like a ton of people around and what i had in my mind was about half of what actually happened mm-hmm. <laughs> that there was so many people and i it, it's probably one of the most fun wins i've ever had um just that it was something different and it was it kind of married a bunch of my strengths together and that you had the fixed gear, but you still had the technical side and the fitness of the crit. Um, and it was a little bit more adventurous since it's kind of off the cuff, but, um, the one in New York went great and I loved it. Um, uh, obviously a one and had a great time and then went to London and was like, okay, you know, Danny King was there. There was a lot of bigger names Let's give it a shot. And it was pouring down rain, mm. of course, London. Um, <laughs> but actually, I wound up getting a flat on the last lap. Oh. And so I was like, okay, you know, I'll just ride it out because you can't get a free lap. So I took a flyer with one to go because I wouldn't be able to take the turns as fast. And I got nipped at the line for third place. And I was like, ah, oh. <laughs> so close. But it's definitely... Uh, even if you lose in those kind of races, it's still a good day. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> but is that something that uh, um, the COVID aside, you 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 would be doing again if uh, if they organize it? Absolutely, I would yeah. love to do it. Yeah, yep. very cool. Yeah, I have to go watch that when it's in Brooklyn. That's yeah. so well, cool. I thought of yeah. you have a bunch of uh, fixed gear stuff in Holland. There's a bunch of races going on over there. Yeah, we we do everything cycling. I, they, you do what? Everything with cycling. So oh, yeah. <laughs> the uh, I'm I'm actually not sure if I showed you Jeff, but uh, just just before COVID, it's funny they have the in Zealand, which is basically there's a lot of water, a couple of islands, and uh, um, they pick a day when you have. I don't know, like storm weather. Um, and uh, the race is one straight line. It's a couple of miles and you basically have to hammer against the wind. So it's a time trial, but they do it on a normal bike. Oh, really? Yeah, normal <laughs> bike. So that's uh, just like a commuter bike. Um, yeah. And it's a fixed uh, fixed gear. And that's how they, um, and, and they organize a race and it gets a, a ton of, let's say, press uh, also. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's good that the event is growing and growing just as another example that if it's, if it's, it. if it's a bike, they, they find something. One, one of the things that uh, would be great is beach racing on the mountain bike. 
So they, they organize beach races on, on, the, on the beach and uh, they, they mountain bike that it's uh, 26, 27 miles and it's a, it's a big loop and they ride on the beach and it's uh, more and more pro riders are, are starting to do that. It's, it's almost like similar to the gravel scene. It, it's somewhat mm -hmm. a smaller niche and it's growing and growing. Um, and they do it on the beach. So we have a lot big coastline here in the US. So why not, <laughs> why not organize that here, right? So that's there you uh, go. that's pretty Put cool. Put it together. I'll be there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you with your organizing skills. That's cool. <laughs> so one of the things that I I believe I saw is that um, I'm not sure if it's part of your coaching practice but there is a um, some some science behind constant glucose metering um, and you're you're affiliated with that or you're um, mm -hmm. you, you you promote that can you can you tell us a little bit of, and the listeners about about that sure so i actually work for a company called leveled health and they are in an app that works with a continuous glucose monitor um, that is targeted for health and athletes on more of a preventative medicine side. So typically CGMs are used for a diabetic population mm -hmm. um, and Levels Health kind of has the vision of um, using them as more of a preemptive measure. So saying before you get to diabetes, let's analyze some of your food and your nutritional habits and exercise and maybe we can mitigate a lot of the downsides that come with you know having bad metabolic health or metabolic flexibility and from an athletic standpoint um i love the idea because it's there's so many things that go with with any type of sport and especially cycling where there's long training rides where feeding's involved and that you need um just in terms of what do you eat during a, you know, these long single day races or at the track when you have back-to-back -back events or even for, you know, a 50-mile training ride, that there is no real guide for that in terms of how much and mm -hmm. what, like, time of the year does it matter or what you ate before and what your training goals are. And there's really no studies out there scientifically in a healthy population they're all looking at people who already have diseases and already have dysfunctions and things like that. So it's kind of uncharted territory, but the potential is there that, I mean, what if I could tell you that you're never going to bonk mm -hmm. because in real time, I could tell you exactly what to eat to get to the finish line the fastest. Like that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's part of my job is I take the science and I break it down for the athletes and kind of help people understand what the glucose levels mean and what you need to eat for performance and recovery and health and trying to just break down the science into manageable little articles um, to help people really understand what it's about and how to use the tool properly. And correct me if I'm wrong, that that's mm -hmm. different per person, right? So the, oh, let's say your, your glucose benchmark uh, is different from person to person because of many many reasons i yeah there's a ton everything from age to fitness to what your body is used to eating is going to make a difference and any kind of health factors that you have and fitness level and um i was i was kind of surprised 
um, when I, I did mine for, oh gosh, maybe two or three months. Um, but there's multiple, you have to change the sensors every two weeks, but checked it for that long. And some of the foods that I expected to help really didn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it's like little foods, like, like an oatmeal was terrible. It shot my blood sugar up and then I plummeted and I was completely useless. Um, and I was surprised that like, when I got up in the morning, I have a very, very low um, waking blood sugar. So anything I eat is just metabolized and gone. Yeah. So I wound up learning that I have to almost eat in phases and more consistently throughout the day, um, which could kind of help that. I mean, my I think a lot of cyclists do this, but my weight is fluctuating throughout the year and in season, it, it's easy to lose a lot of weight really fast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then when you're in the gym in the winter, you're always hungry. So, <laughs> but it just comes right back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. Cause like a lot of uh, teams are moving to the whole foods, right. And not so much energy bars and things like that, but actually having real food. Right? Yeah. <laughs> are you, do you see a difference with that with your uh, research as well? Absolutely. Yep. And I noticed that it's, even a difference between the gels is huge. Um, and I mean, I, I put myself through the ringer trying all these different like high processed sugar foods. I think my body hated me, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's very different. And especially working on trying to control like, okay, I had this much sleep. I had this much training leading into it. Okay. Now let's do a gel in a controlled environment and see what happens. But um, more than anything, the timing of the gel is the thing that, is I mean they have a the like guide on the label I think is every forty five minutes or something like that but like you said everybody's different and so forty five minutes could really be thirty minutes for somebody mm-hmm. or it could really be fifty minutes so what if you take the gel too soon and you hit the peak and you're already crashing by the time you get to the finish line which is the opposite of what you want right. yeah. um, so it it was definitely kind of a game with that but I do make all of my like ride snacks. Um, I'll use a gel for a race because I know exactly I got my timing down yeah. so I can do that a little better. But for my training rides, I do all my own stuff. So make it from whole foods and, um, I have celiacs anyway, so my options are okay. pretty limited. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you kind of get used to spending a little bit more time in the kitchen for prep work. Right. Yeah. And that, that's very interesting because I, I read something about the, uh, 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 the, the glucose, I think there is an index. If you take, for example, bread or a potato or pasta, uh, the, the difference between those type of foods, um, and you could argue, is it whole foods or is it processed or where, where, where does mm-hmm. it originate? Uh, but when I never realized, for example, a potato, the difference between if you cook it or if you bake it or if you steam it and how the starch gets um, into into glucose and how quickly you your glucose peaks after that um, I think that's very interesting <laughs> I never realized uh, how that worked and so for the same for a pasta right you you eat it but that peak comes after a couple of hours so that's probably mm-hmm. why everybody in cycling eats pasta for breakfast. <laughs> so when they're on their bike after a couple of hours, they get that that nice peak. So I, and that that's probably then confirmed by the 
the the glucose meter right yeah absolutely yeah you're totally right and even things like a sweet potato to a regular potato yeah vastly different yeah. um, in terms of your response and nutritional content and yeah it, it is it's very interesting and when you think of all the foods you can possibly choose from that that's why i liked um before i had the cgm i was doing the finger pricks for blood glucose yeah. You can only test so many foods, otherwise then you run out of fingers. Um, (laughs) And so it's just, this is an easy way to say like, okay, you know, you can span the gamut, eat every food you can. And the app logs your response. It gives it a rating on a scale of one to 10. And you can look back and sift through the different foods to see what your response was for each one. So that's what I like. It was, it was a very educational tool. Right. Did you find that there was any like superfoods out there that you were like, huh, for cyclists, this is like the perfect thing to take? Bananas. Bananas, okay. Go figure. (laughs) Um, That was a good one. And I I make up my own bar with a combination of it's like oatmeal, a little bit of peanut butter, dates and coconut Mm. for like during a ride. Yeah. It's got, so then you got a ton of carbs. I'm not a huge fan of peanut butter, but you need something to hold it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so you've got the, the carbs from kind of the oatmeal um, perspective, but then, and the date, you've got some sugar, but you've also got a lot of other, like it's, it's more of a healthy thing than right. a gel. So you're getting more from it. Um, and it, it actually kept my blood sugar high for a long time, which is not normally like for health reasons, you want it low and steady. Yeah. But exercise, you want available fuel. So I kept it on the higher edge of normal and steady, which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people are switching over to coconut oil because of that mm-hmm. good healthy fat that's in there and it sticks with you, you know. Yeah. Get up on a cold morning, have, you know, I make eggs and coconut oil and then, man, it's like two hours, you feel like you're good, you know. You're, yeah. You got plenty of fuel, uh, but uh yeah, it's interesting to see how everyone used to have the big carbo load night before, you know, dinners, yeah. right? Just nothing but pasta. And now it's like everyone, they want healthy vegetables in there, a mix of things, some different proteins. Um, so I think it's yeah. it's cool to see it evolve, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot more room to grow too. There's still so much we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah if, you, if you save those goos for race day, then they're that much more powerful, right? Like you take it, and then your system is like, "Whoa, this is like rocket fuel." <laughs> rocket fuel, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep, that and caffeine, right? <laughs> oh yeah, right. Yeah. Get the coke hand up on the last lap. Oh no! <laughs> Boom. <laughs> oh, when I was in college, I had I was really into nutrition and trying different, you know, um, um like vitamins, like vitamin B, if that would help, vitamin D. And I remember having, it was, um, oh gosh, it was a mixture. It was beetroot juice mm. with caffeine and beta alanine before a race. Yeah. And I get to the start line and I'm shaking on the start. I was like, oh no, I overdid it. <laughs> and exactly. I looked down and no joke, before we start, my heart rate's at 140. Wow. I'm thinking there is no way this is going to end well. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the beet juice too. I mean, they, they've said that it, all the nitrates in there will decrease your um, lactic, you know, threshold. It's and, your blood uh, flow also, I've, right? It's, it, uh, there's 
it sends more blood to through your veins basically mm -hmm. it reaches it mm -hmm. easily yeah, easier yeah yeah the yeah. vasodilator so you get more to your muscles and mm -hmm. yeah exactly mm -hmm. yeah so i got a juicer i juice that thing <laughs> My kids oh really like, okay you do it yourself oh yeah yeah, yeah. dedicated <laughs> yeah <laughs> i tried i tried to power pow the powder for uh for a while but if you don't mix it correctly it's it's basically if you take a big hand of the lawn and put it in your mouth it's it, it, it tastes like dirt literally it's it's, it's not good yeah. so so on for your uh, uh celiac um you're super limited because there is gluten in everything uh, Everything good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I love bread. It's, uh, uh, but um, how how do you, as an athlete, um, how do you how do you how do you deal with that? Um, it's actually gotten a lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, I was diagnosed in, gosh, maybe twenty eleven. I, I was in college. Um, and it was before gluten-free was a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so luckily I had a friend on the track team who was celiac for as long as she could remember. Um, and she was a lifesaver that came in and told me what to buy and told me how to make different foods and gave me different options. And without her, I would have no idea what to eat. Um, okay. and so it's, it really got good at reading labels. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> and you've kind of got the, the running tally in the back of your head. Right. It's okay. If you see this, it's a no go. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's easy for me now. Cause I'm a very, um, I'm boring when yeah. it comes to food mm -hmm. is I have the same thing and I'm totally okay with it that I've got, you know, meals that you can pop in the oven. I'll make three times as much as I need. And I've got enough for three days. Um, but it's very limited. I'm, I'm not a huge, uh, like bait good person to begin with. So that kind of saved me a little bit, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, it's just kind of getting used to, um, more of your meat, potato, veggie fruit kind of deal that, uh, the carbs are coming a lot from potatoes. Um, I love French fries, <laughs> so that's got me, um, and sweet potatoes and, um, rice, it's all right. I mean, use it as a mixer. I'm not a huge fan. Yeah. Um, same with pasta. It's like, it's one of those things that, yeah, I could do without, but as from an athlete perspective, I know I need the carbs. So yeah, right. we're eating the pasta, yeah. <laughs> the gluten-free pasta. Yeah. Um, but now everything is, is so easily labeled. Um, and they've got gluten-free sections in grocery stores. Um, and it's more, it's, it's internationally now known now. So yeah. you can travel pretty much anywhere. And I mean, the go-to is every, every place has got a salad, right? So you can always find something to eat wherever yeah. you go. Um, but I do take a lot of my own food on the road with me just in case like there's only, you know, a pizza place next to the hotel or something. Then mm -hmm. obviously I've got nothing. <laughs> yeah. So you, I make my own stuff and kind of take it with me and, it's easy to take, you know, potatoes or rice or things like that on a road trip that they pack well. Um, and peanut butter and jellies on those rice crackers. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> Eat like a five-year-old and you're good. 
right. gummy bears and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that final thing on that so did, did you notice it by by yourself um uh, that something wasn't working before you were diagnosed with it um, and, and what were the let's say the signs that that there was something yeah. not working well <laughs> um i knew something was wrong mm -hmm. uh but i had no idea what celiac was or you know how that was diagnosed um but i was in my the spring time getting ready for finals and incredibly unhealthy i mean we're talking like two hours of sleep a night drinking a whole pot of coffee a day like engineering i do not wish that on anyone like, yeah. <laughs> it's a terribly hard curriculum um and field hockey and trying to get in some riding um so I, I wasn't healthy to begin with but then you look back and i had what i thought was a stomach bug for like yeah. a week i was throwing up all the time and just wasn't i was it was miserable and then that progressed to two weeks which progressed to three weeks it's like, okay, no stomach bug is lasting mm -hmm. three weeks here. Like, this yeah. is a terrible idea. Um, and I must have seen four or five doctors mm -hmm. before they started running different tests and trying to rule out some different things. And then they had me on all these elimination diets. Well, let's take out the dairy and let's take out, um, what was the other thing? It's, um, it was high fiber. They put me on like a FODMAP kind of thing. And, um, I actually had, before that, I had a coach that was all about the paleo diet. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I was doing that before and I came off of it and had an issue. And I said, okay, well then I'm just going to stop. I'm going to go back to that because I knew that worked for me because that's a very meat and potatoes diet. Yeah. And so it's, it's almost naturally a gluten-free or mostly gluten-free. So I went back and um, one of the doctors was mentioning and saying, okay, well, if that kind of work for you, then let's talk about uh, a test for celiac. And they said, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to eat something ridiculous. It was like four pieces of white bread a day for seven days. And then we're going to come in and we're going to do an endoscopy. And I was like, do you have any idea how painful that is going to be for seven days if you're right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but that's the only test how to do it. Like, or we could do a blood test. I was like, there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Short good. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Take all the blood you need. Yeah. <laughs> um, and wound up then kind of linking up with my friend um, on the track team and found out that this just, that was it. Yeah. And that worked for me and um, been that way ever since. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was an adventure. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thanks oh, for sharing you. that. It, it's, um, when we spoke with Mandy about type one diabetes and how to deal with that, and um, I think it's 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 good to hear with um, certain um, uh, like celiac uh, and and type one, you're still being able to compete at a high level, um, and I think that's that's that could be reassuring for for a lot of people is that. Uh, Especially nowadays, it's um, there are little to no limitations in what you can achieve because of the the science and the nutrition and, and everything else. So that's uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Of course. Um, the your cycling team is that correct? If I say your cycling team, 
Sure. Okay. <laughs> so that's that's the, the pickle juice all women cycling team, correct? Yes. Yeah. How how did you uh, how did you start and why did you start a, a cycling team? Um, it was interesting, and it actually came years ago uh, when I was racing on my own. I had just gotten off of like a local team that just. I just didn't mesh well with some of the people and it just wasn't the right fit for me. And I think that's hard that there's a, um, it, it, there weren't any teams that kind of hit that middle ground at the time for women where it was either a junior's team or it was more of a master's women's team who's doing it for fun or you've got the little kids and there wasn't a whole lot in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of find, found myself Floating <laughs> and racing on my own, which I was fine with and did well. And there was a rider who came over, um, Alicia Keith, um, now Alicia Dawkins. And <laughs> we wound up um, racing a lot of the same races and we kept going one, two in all these races and um, got to talking. And she said, Hey, she goes, I don't have a team when I'm over in the US and it doesn't seem like you have a team either. How about we do something together? Or can you get me a ride on a different team? I said, let's do our own thing. We can do this. Like, <laughs> yeah. how hard can it be? Yeah, well, that was a mistake. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was like, okay, that's fine. And I literally set off on this mission of saying it would be, I thought it would be so cool for us to have a team where we get to make the rules. There are so many, at, at the time, there were all these things out there about how, you know, teams are going bankrupt and that people weren't managing the funds the way that they thought they should be and riders were frustrated. And so we said, why are we going to jump into something that we might not like? We'll, we'll make our own rules and we'll make everything transparent and it'll be, you know, a, a group decision and, you know, we can really make it exactly what we want. Yeah. Um, and so I remember on the flight down to Pan Am Championships, I got a bicycling magazine and I flipped through and emailed every company that had an ad in that magazine. And I pitched them the idea of this team. It was like 120 emails, ridiculous. <laughs> and uh, we had a rider that I did the World Cycling League in California the year before. And there was a rider from Norway, Anita, um, who was on my team for that. And we wound up getting along very well. I said, okay, we've got Anita's the sprinter, Alicia's the enduro, and I can play the middle. We've got a team of three that we can do a lot with. Um, and wound up having pickle juice give me a call back as I was um, on a bus back from New York coaching. And they said, hey, we got your email. We're really interested. Um, tell me some more about it. And we must have had an hour and a half phone call. And by the end it was, let's do this. We'll make it work. That's amazing. Um, yeah. It was, it was incredible. I mean, they're practically blind belief in us yeah. <laughs> as riders. I mean, they had our resumes, but none of us had ever put a team together before. Um, and we had fast forward came on board and Jackaroo came on board and pressure positive. And it was just this um, great grouping of people that were so enthused to make this happen. Yeah. And we wound up having um, Alicia came up from New Zealand and Nita came over from Norway and we traveled around and hit like, it was, I think it was 75 races in three months. 
because they had three months before their visas expired. Right. So they had to go home. So we literally took it 89 days before that they were here. And we were all over the country. Um, and it was, <laughs> I had my little, I have a Honda Fit <laughs> with a bike rack on the top. This thing was like a clown car full of stuff because um, we, we had a low budget. I mean, it was our first season and it cost enough to get to 70 something races and let alone hotels and things like that. Um, but we had something ridiculous, like a 40% win rate at the races we uh, went to. Oh, like, cool. It was a little three man powerhouse that just worked amazingly. And so then we went into the, the next year and Alicia was like, ha, ah, yeah, been fun, but I'm going to get married. Enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, all right, you're done. And Anita wanted to focus some more on she's, um, she should be, or should have been at the Olympics by now, but she'll now be next year. Right. Um, so she needed, since she's from a country like Norway, Mm -hmm. you need to hit all the UCI races because you are responsible for all the country's points, which is Mm -hmm. a daunting task. Um, so she basically said, okay, I need to focus now. She's going somewhere. All right, well, now I'm back to square one. And <laughs> so I wound up getting a girl from Iowa, um, Elijah, who's with me now. And uh, she was 18 going on 19. And I was like, oh, kids, yeah. don't want to have to deal with this. I don't want to be a parent. Like, this is going to be a struggle. And actually somebody out, um, another a junior that I was coaching at the time, was, no, you should look at her. And I she check her out. She's the real deal. Okay. So I went out to a race that she was at and watched her and the kid cleaned up. I was like, all right, let's do it. Talk with her. She was incredibly mature, wound up being a very good fit. And we have, uh, gosh, trying to think between her, then the next year we had Maggie Coles Leister, who is a phenomenal rider from Canada. Um, and we are going to have Libby Arbuckle from New Zealand this year, but she got trapped in New Zealand yeah. with COVID. Um, but it just, it wound up being this snowball effect where everyone who's written for the team has at least one national championship and represented their country internationally. And it's just been this jam packed season of racers from the age of 19 to I'm the old one now. So 29, that it's just race till you drop and see how many things you can get. Last year, we had 102 races in the year it's just and it's it's a great learning experience for the younger ones you just like baptized by fire and you get the hang of it they pick it up like that yeah um and then for me it's nice to be able to pass some of that on and help some of these guys out and still be able to race myself and still be able to hit the higher level races that maybe i've done for 10 years now Right. And I can say, this is how the course is going to work. It always ends in a sprint. Like, okay. yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can, you yeah. can give them the pointers to help cut down the learning curve for yeah. them. So it's been just an incredible experience, um, kind of taking this from what could have been a complete bust yeah. into something that's been a great international women's team. Yeah, that, that's that's an amazing story. Uh, I didn't, didn't realize that, but it's... Uh, uh, what an adventure, right? Um, yeah. um, uh, setting something up and, and having this great bond um, as, 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 as a women's team and, and, and successes also. So that's, uh, that's, that's great. Do you, do you get applications from 
riders that say, hey, <laughs> I want to wanna see if I can join your team. This is my resume. Yeah. Um, how, do, how, do you, how do you deal with that? How, how, how does it work? Every year, uh, we get a ton. And if anybody out there, you know, hit me up with an email yeah. <laughs> or social media, whatever. Um, but yeah, we get some every year and from all over the world, which I think is so cool. Um, and it's great. I mean, uh, I'll talk with each of them personally. And, you know, even if it's, even if this is not the right fit for them in terms of maybe, you know, some of them are on the young side, like if, if you're a minor or something like that, and we all live together in the same house, we have a team house in, uh, Mukunji, So it's adults only, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's some, some of them are on the young side or, um, some of them don't have the right experience maybe like you just need a stepping stone yeah like, okay and so for those we've done in the past um guest writing scenarios say okay come out with us like we had one writer um from california that she was on the young side was almost there but not really they come out for two weeks mm -hmm. you've got an extra room in the house it'll get your feet wet yeah. and get you get, get you that kind of shock to your system to know what that next step is then go back home take what you learned train then reapply for us next year Right. Um, so we really wanted it to be a development thing. And we've done, uh, I think we do normally about four or five guest riders a year to try and get that just foot in the water experience kind of a deal. Um, but actually I just had, I just had two emails last week for people talking, asking about next year. Yeah. And I am still amazed that it's kind of become that. And and morphed into this um, something where now people are coming to us, which I never in a million years would have expected that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's similar to, uh, and then that that also triggered me asking the questions with uh, with Alison Marugal that we had on uh, earlier. Um, she basically mm -hmm. did the same, but then for a mountain bike team, just oh, great. send an email mm -hmm. and. Um, uh, she wrote with them and then uh, kind of tried out and she got on the team. And I think that's also a, a women's team, right, Jeff? Right. The KS Kenda women. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've heard yeah. it. I'm not a mountain biker, but I've heard yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I think this is just a great example of um, how do you get more people uh, on the bike um, and having the opportunity to ride competitively. Um, that those are just great initiatives. So that's uh, that's 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 perfect. Do you see uh, um, uh, T Town as it's a bad word to use, but is it uh, as a breeding ground for talent? <laughs> um, I think it's interesting that it's the places, the hotbeds in the country have morphed over the years. And okay. When I was a kid, it was uh, Texas and T Town were the two big places to get talent from. And then, you know, the Texas track closed and it kind of morphed into California and T-Town. And now you're getting a lot of kids that are um, coming from, I think it's the two ends. I think you have a lot of good riders in New York, too, that are kind of flying under the radar. Yeah. They've got the talent. They just don't really have a place to show it yet. Um, and now who knows? You've got a track in uh, Rock Hill now. That's relatively new. I mean, it's been around for a couple of years, but that takes some time to get these programs up and running. So that could very well be a new source of talent in the next few years. Um, so I, I think it's interesting. I think there's a lot uh, that 
the area of Pennsylvania has to offer riders in terms of that it's not trafficy, it's a cheap cost of living, that you've got a track in your backyard, right. um, that it is it's a tempting place to go to. And I think that's why we're here all the time. And it's yeah. so easy to have access to a lot of these really good races. I mean we've got Somerville uh an hour and a half north and we've got the track races normally every mm. Friday here. <laughs> and then you've got Arlington and it's south and New York is just a couple hours away where you can hit, I mean, at times we hit three races a day um, and they're all within driving distance. Right. And where else can you say that's going to happen? Okay. Oh, yeah. So um, how, how does uh, uh, social media play part in your team and uh, basically working with your sponsors and um, uh, being being active on those those platforms? Is that is that something that's that's really part of your, let's say, day to day? Um, it is, and it's it's something that is um, it's becoming more of a requirement. And mm-hmm. um, sponsors want to make sure that I mean, instead of just wearing their name on your back, they now have so much more potential ROI by um, getting these social media platforms out there and and having you as a real ambassador. Which I think is it makes it important, and it's something that we've always done on the team to only pick sponsors that you really believe in. Because right. you're now attaching your name to their brand. So you if you are really advocating for them and and it's more than just passively having their name on your attire, um, that we actually we've got sponsors that have good products and they're good people and it's something that we use every day and um that is part of our, our routine um in terms of just trying to it plus it makes it easier to advocate for them. Because you believe in it, right. so it's not fake. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, but it's it is something that I've been working more on, and I think it's something that it comes easily to the younger kids that they're used to the social media. They grew up with it. They know how to. I feel like the old person trying to put together a freaking <laughs> video on my phone, yeah. and it never goes where I want it to go. Right. Um, but it is it. It's becoming more of, like you said, a day-to-day kind of thing, and it's uh, it's honestly more work than I expected. Yeah, I thought, oh, how hard could that be? You take a picture, you throw it up, you're good to go. Well, no, no. exactly. You, still, <laughs> you also want to see if you talk about ROI, <laughs> right? Yeah, people yeah. actually like it or it's being viewed, <laughs> etc. Yeah. The, um, so let's assume and hope that in. 21, uh, there is a vaccine and we kind of get over COVID. Um, but what, what other plans do you have? You're so extremely busy with all these, these great things that you do, but do you have, do you have other plans? In terms of cycling or in terms of outside of cycling? Cycling, just you as a person, but, um, yeah. Uh, I'm looking to move to California, so that's oh, a big, okay. a big plan. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at houses now, so it's a daunting way to throw away all of my money. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've spent the last, gosh, maybe ten years now, um, spending the winters when I wasn't in New Zealand. I was in California for right. training, um, so I'm going to try and get my butt out there permanently. Um, and time to be a real person and get a, a full-time job and uh, or two. Yeah. <laughs> um, but racing still it's still going to be there. Still going to have the team. Um, 
it'll just be, um, I guess, just a little bit different of an off season. Right. Uh, it'll kind of be nice that I'm not going to have school. I mean, I'm sure that will be replaced by another job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it uh, it'll just kind of be a new chapter, which I'm very excited about. That for the first time in my life, I'm not going to have to take a test or write a paper or anything like that. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, so I'm looking at a winter in California and then I was so excited this year. I was getting ready to put together this monster of a, a racing calendar for some, some of these higher level races. So hopefully that'll happen next year with the BC super week and some of the bigger ones, maybe go abroad once or twice and test my fate out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, we'll 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 be keeping an eye uh, out on you and and following the team and uh, and let's say your 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 whereabouts. But that's uh, that's that's a big step, right? Um, um, going to to California. Which which area is that? The uh, Southern California. Southern, so I'm looking yeah. at like a Long Beach area. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I'm excited. Is there uh, is there a, did you have any other questions, uh, Jeff? Uh, no, I'm just trying to be cognizant of our time too. Yeah, uh, that we're right at the hour mark. So, right. Uh, did did yeah, you have yeah. anything, uh, Colleen, to to add? Did we forget anything, or is there something that you wanted to? I don't think so. Thank you for having me. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, thanks. absolutely. It was great to have you, and uh, um, yeah, thanks for sharing the stories. I think the. Uh, um was was great to to learn more about you and all the things that you do and uh, the the team uh, setup so that was uh, was pretty cool yeah thank yeah. you okay excellent and thanks so much obviously uh, we also have internet and zoom in california um when you move <laughs> over so uh, we hope to be able to ask you back and uh, see uh, how you're doing back then and uh, in, in in the future and then uh, um you you're you're more than welcome to to join again Thanks. I'd love that. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.